Welcome to the Banking on Business podcast presented by Horicon Bank. Banking on Business is aimed at helping entrepreneurs grow their business with practical strategies you can start using today. We are all about engaging our local business community and connecting with other small businesses to raise each other up. Hosted by yours truly, Grace Bruins, marketing officer at Horicon Bank, turned podcaster, at least for the next 20 minutes. Welcome to the Banking on Business podcast presented by Horicon Bank. Today, we are talking with Kyle Rowe. And Kyle, you are owner of not one, not two, not three, not four, but soon to be five Jersey Mike's stores. We're talking about growth, what it takes to run a business with multiple locations. And I think we'll even touch on some hiring and retaining of employees because that's really big right now too. So welcome, Kyle. I am glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. So let's let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. This is our rapid fire intro to the expert. I fire off the questions and you answer as quickly as you can. Are you ready to play? Yep. All right. Where did you grow up? Little town uh, called Rio, Wisconsin. And what was your very first job? Well, to be honest, I uh, worked for my father who owned a small construction business. So when I was probably not even legal enough to work, I was <laughs> picking up job sites and nails and two by fours and maybe sleeping in the truck once in a while. All right. Fair enough. I grew up on a farm, so I, I understand that. Dad puts you to work right away. Yep. What's the best part about what you do every day? I, really, it's people. I mean, uh, the people and having a team and people that follow you and um, I guess just getting great relationships with people that you feel like will run through doors and walls for you. It's, it's, a, it's a humbling experience. And if you had a day where you could do absolutely anything you wanted, no schedule, no responsibilities, what would you be doing? Probably be up north. Yeah. Yeah. We got a place up in Eagle River and I'm just it's my release area. So yeah. it's a, a very big uh, outdoor motorsports guy. So snowmobiling, side-by-sides, boating, maybe some golf. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of everything. A little bit of everything. <laughs> and what's your favorite thing on the Jersey Mike's menu? I'm going to say two things because it's the hot side and the cold side. Okay, so on the hot side, it would have to be the first sandwich I ever had, which is a 43 Chipotle cheesesteak. Still still one of those sandwiches that uh, that's near and dear to me. And then um, the number nine, Club Supreme. Okay. Mike's Way, maybe some cherry pepper relish on it. <laughs> my thought is it's our one of our most underrated sandwiches. Okay. So everyone out there, yep. go try it. Yep. Got it. Now, before we get into your story, Kyle, let's do our marketing minute. Today, we're getting deep into the psychology of marketing tactics. So have you ever heard of the anchoring bias? I have not. Okay. Me neither until now. (laughs) (laughs) The anchoring bias says that our brains rely heavily on the first piece of information that we receive about a topic. All new information received after that is then referenced against that anchor, that initial information. It actually can disrupt our ability to see something objectively. So here's our example, Rolls Royce. Now you're a car guy. Mm -hmm. What's the average cost of a Rolls Royce? In this age, uh, I mean, it's probably well over a million. Right. So do you want to know where Rolls Royce's favorite exhibition place is? Sure. Okay. It's yacht and aircraft shows. Because if you've been looking at jets all morning, what's the cost of a Rolls Royce compared to that? It's a small, small figure. It's like an impulse buy at that point. So for our listeners, consider the information your customers are processing. 
and how they may be comparing the cost of your product or service to information they've already received and may change the way that you position your product or service in the future. Rolls Royce. There you go. There it is. So Kyle, let's get into our interview here. You have Jersey Mike's locations in Fond du Lac, Oshkosh, Nina, Sheboygan, and very soon to be Beaver Dam. Correct. So what drew you to the Jersey Mike's franchise? Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, stumbled into it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2016, 2015 area, traveling with friends, always kind of had a, was looking for an exit strategy um, out of the the current automotive business that I was operating. And um, literally stumbled into one on a friend's reference uh, in some travels and the rest is kind of history from there. And, and, and it just, uh, it was an opportunity. I'd never heard of them and, um, couldn't believe that there weren't, I haven't heard of them at, after having the food and, mm-hmm. uh, the experience there. So we saw an opportunity to, you know, bring this brand to, to the forefront of friends, family and in Wisconsin. Okay. So tell me a little bit about that very first visit to Jersey Mike's, right? You remember the very first sandwich you had. Yep. And you brought some home for your wife because you said you got to try this. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we were traveling from uh, northern Minnesota, friends of ours. Um, it was guys' weekends. We were towing a camper, stopped into Hudson, Wisconsin, um, okay. on our way through the, the Twin Cities, and um, fueled up, and, and a buddy just said, you know, let's go to Jersey Mike's. And I remember saying, Jersey who? <laughs> and um, so we, we, we went over there and parked and, and went in, and I was just I was really blown away with the experience and um, slicing meat and cheese fresh and and I had ordered the chipotle cheesesteak so it was a you know a hot fresh cooked sub and you know to see a flat top and see to somebody you know making it right in front of you no microwaves nothing like that and you know and the sandwich was out of this world I never had anything quite like it Mm -hmm. so um I, I, I saved a tiny sliver for my wife um and just remember talking about it remember thinking about it and it just I couldn't get it off of my mind okay so you said before you were looking for an exit strategy out of out of the automotive business, kind of saw where that industry was going. So what do, drew you to franchise in general? I think the initial learning curve of just being in business and not an educated guy. I got a high school diploma. Um, so everything that I did, I had to figure out the hard way. And I think, albeit that was it was it was a great experience, but it was it, you know, cutting your teeth on something like that is, it's hard work and Mm -hmm. you make mistakes. And, you know, the franchise really appealed because you're you're really just upholding somebody else's standards. And those standards in that business aligned with what, you know, my standards were. And building a team of people and being able to represent a brand and not having having to go through, there's so many unknowns if you're going to, you know, Kyle subs. I mean, you're starting from the basement and you've got to build it up where getting behind a company that is already established is, was kind of the draw to it. Um, and, and I'll admit, I knew nothing about franchising. I knew really nothing about sub shops. And, you know, like I told you, I, my only restaurant experience was 14 years old working at a Burger King. Uh-huh. Um, so I just knew that this brand, the, the what I tried, other people were going to fall in love with it. There, there was no way that mm-hmm. this wasn't, you know, something that we wanted to do. So do you get a lot of support from Jersey Mike's from that, that corporate side of it because it is a franchise? Absolutely. I, I mean, knowing what I know now and other brands, talking to other people from other concepts, um, you know, I, I can speak in, in particular to our 
region, which is Minnesota, Wisconsin, and the two gentlemen that, that have helped develop that, that region, they're very hands-on. Um, the vetting process that Jersey Mike's goes through on who they choose to represent their brand is, is I think something that really stands out to me. You know, they don't, they're not looking for check writers. They're not looking for investors. They're mm-hmm. looking for people that'll put the apron on, that'll go in their store, that will work side by side with their team that are going to be operators. They, they don't want investment people. Sure. You know, they want somebody that's truly dedicated to running their business day to day. Sure. And that means, you know, the investment that you're talking about, obviously it's much more than monetary investment. You're ready to invest your time yep. because, you know, you were telling me before at that first store that you opened, how many days in a row did you work? I was like 93. Wow. Straight. And, um, you know, probably 100, and, 100 to 115 hour weeks. Wow. So it was, it was very zombie-like when you got home. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. And you said that when you first started training, you had a four-month-old at home, right? Yeah. yeah. When we when we opened, when we finally opened the store, I think one of the I think the first day off I had was on my my child's one-year birthday. Um, you know, we were able to get everybody to to you know, okay, just give me one day, <laughs> give me one day. Um, you know, and it was putting a lot of faith and, and trust in, in these people that were very fresh and, um, you have no other supporting stores at that point. You're, you're kind of on an Island mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the brand is unrecognized in, in that market. And there's a lot of things that, you know, today are, are not that way, but yeah, uh, it was, it was, uh, I missed a lot of early time with my daughter's development, but now it's, you know, I'm, I'm making up for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure that she gets to see her dad working and proud of what he does too. I think there's something granted when you're a year old, you probably don't understand that, right, but right. someday she'll look back. She sees and know pictures. That. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't you walk me through what it looks like? So you and your wife decided we're going to go for this dream. We're gonna we're gonna do it. What did that look like from making that decision to actually opening that first store? Yeah. Once we came to terms with it, you know, it took a, a year, I think, to really come to terms with that decision. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, once we finalized that, you know, it was really, it started the process of talking with corporate and getting serious. And, you know, obviously they're they're looking at the financial side of things and sure. you have to prove your net worth and your ability to, to, to bring that finance to the table. And then they really want to know if this is the right decision for you. So I, I, I first did an in-store experience. So I met with Jeff Burns, who's our, our, our area director, one of our area directors. And I worked in a store in downtown Milwaukee um, and walked in on a, on a less than perfect shift. There was, you know, some, some shift issues with employees and, um, you know, literally was slicing tomatoes and sorting onions and learning how to wrap a sandwich and, okay, you're going to wrap sandwiches all lunch. And we were short staffed and, you know, working next to somebody at the register that was their second day, oh, you wow. know? And so you get a really, really close view of what day-to-day stuff in a restaurant is like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and Jeff apologized. And I said, well, I want to see reality. You know, I'm not yep. here to see, you know, the, the, the cliff notes version. Um, I want to see the real part of it. Um, so after that, if you're still game for it, then they set up a meeting. And I met with both Jeff and John and my wife and I and, you know, kind of discussed, you know, wanting to be a franchisee and, and the reasons why, you know, and then they make a decision on your character and, and, you know, look at the big picture. And they invited me to come down to Milwaukee when, when Peter Cancro was, was in town touring some stores and he still does that, believe it or not. I think he flies in now more okay. than drives, but, um, <laughs> 
So I, I met them and, you know, Peter wants to know why you want to be part of the brand. And Peter still signs every single franchise agreement. Wow. Believe it or not, hand signs every one of them. Might take a week or two for, for him <laughs> to get across his desk. But, uh, sure. you know, so we sign the agreement, you know, we pay our franchise fee and then we start looking at real estate and um, you kind of just start getting that exit strategy ready because you, you've got to, if you're, you know, employed at that point, it was, had my own business. So mm-hmm. making concessions to kind of exit that and, you know, to kind of shrink stuff down. And we started touring re- real estate and, you know, it just, I think now about, those decisions and what we were looking at and knowing what you know now. And I'm just, I kind of chuckle. I'm like, well, if I had to do it all over again (laughs) and yeah, once, once a a spot is picked and those things get going then the training and it's just, it's just a, a, a a ticking time bomb, so to speak, you know, when the build out starts and you're, you're training and kind of doing multiple things all at once and you know, nothing. I mean, you've, this is the first time. So the great thing is, is that the brand has really, done well at kind of holding your hand as first time franchisee, you know, and, and really guiding you through the process and really overlooking stuff. And the great thing with franchising is most of the time there's a, a point person for each section of, of this process. So we use a lawyer that has done hundreds of, okay. of lease negotiations and knows exactly what the brand will and will not tolerate and, okay. and things that are, you know, go or no go spots for the brand. So, you know, being able to use, utilize those people, we use a accountant, um, that does hundreds of Jersey mics. So they know, mm-hmm. um, you know, trying to step out and reinvent something when you're franchising just doesn't make a lot of sense. So sure. you get aligned with all of those people. And, um, then the training for us, because Wisconsin was such an undeveloped state, um, all the training happened in one of the one of the area directors' own stores in Chanhassen, Minnesota, is where we we it was a certified training store. It's got certified trainers in it, and it was a high volume store. So they want you to get reps in a busy store. Mm-hmm. So if your store is busy, it's not like oh well, I'm really not used to this. It's right. a lot busier than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, spent many months living out of a suitcase and and driving four and a half hours every weekend, twice. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the locations. How do you choose where you want these locations to be? I mean, the brand has, you know, some pretty good data um, okay. on know where they want to be. Um, you know, it's a lot of due diligence. And sometimes it's being a little sneaky about what you're doing. And, and you know, just sometimes it's just going in as an average person and asking Maybe not competitors that are direct competitors, you know, like typically don't go into Jimmy John's and ask them sure. numbers, but you know, I, I might, I might go into a noodles or I might go into, you know, another a brand that we kind of align with, or, you know, obviously when you see one brand, you typically see a few others that sure. are anchored around that. Mm-hmm. And you see if you can have a conversation with the, with the general manager and see if they can give you some, some numbers, some data and, you know, and asking them how you rank with your peers. Are you guys at the bottom of the market? Are you at the top of the market? And now obviously we having more contacts, you know, we've, we've got some contacts with Culver's. So we know what is the Culver's down the street too? You know, okay. are, are they above market average? Are they below? Um, you know, and those comps are a big deal, mm-hmm. you know, because if noodles is doing X amount and they're 10 gram below, you know, average, 
you're probably not going to go in there and change the rotation of the earth Mm -hmm. when it comes to how people spend their money. So, you know, you you try to avoid those areas where, you know, it's maybe a D minus type area and it's energy. You can feel it. You know, when you're in a market and and you can feel it and you can see the the travel patterns and the, and the vehicles. And a lot of times people say, Oh, well, why would you want to be there? There's so much competition. Well, that's where people are going to eat. Right. You know, and, and it's kind of like a a food court, you Mm -hmm. know, more, more, more so than anything. So a lot of those things, when, when we picked our first location, I mean, it, it didn't end up working out the way we wanted. I mean, it wasn't a high volume store. I mean, it was interstate anchored. It has great visibility. It's in, you know, a town of almost 70,000 people. But you learn a lot about those towns and how people travel and what people are willing to do and what they're not willing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so that first store was, I wouldn't call it a dud, but it was not, you know, we had we had another franchisee open a store in Green Bay and that store exploded. It was insane. And, you know, it was like a month and a half before we opened. So now you're, you're judging, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're comparing theirs to yours and, you know, that one's a hard one to beat. And then ours opened well and it, you know, we had our, our struggles just like everybody else that jumps into this does, but, um, we're seeing that market really start to finally pay off. But we've had people that are like, Oh, that's such a great location. And I'm like, yeah, we thought so too. <laughs> Not a losing location by any means, but it's, it's sometimes it's just luck of the draw. Sometimes it's, it's, they surprise you. My area director quit giving his two cents on stuff because he's, he just says, I'm not guessing on it. It's it's, 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 all it is, is a guess. Mm -hmm. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about your Sheboygan location? Because you call that kind of a blessing in disguise. Yep. So that's a surprise to you. Yeah. So, you know, long story short, you know, we had had our eyes on, on West Bend as a location. Um, and through uh, circumstances out of our control, uh, we had some award-winning people from another state um, that were with the brand as managers. There was a, a program that was that was being started by Peter Cancro called the Rod Smith Award. Rod Smith was the gentleman. It was Peter Cancro's Pop Warner football coach who gave him his first or gave, gave him the loan to buy the first store when he okay. was 17 years old. Oh, wow. So if you do the back research and you do the backstory on Jersey Mike's, it, this, this story is easily, you know, easily one of the best culture stories a brand could have. Uh, so Peter's a very giving guy. He started this because he wanted to kind of, you know, redevelop that. He wanted himself to be able to do that to people that didn't have the capital, didn't have the, the net worth to be able to open a store, but they were, you know, you know, very high quality managers and they were putting in the work. So that came to us unknowing and that kind of pulled out, you know, our plans for West Bend. And at the same time, you know, we, we decided to, to move forward with Sheboygan and this was, you know, moving in kind of in the midst of COVID mm-hmm. and there was a, a self-serve Froyo brand that was in this location that, you know, just locked the doors and said, we're done. And, um, we were able to make a deal on this, um, and, and get into that particular store. And we had no idea. I had actually toured that store. We have friends that live in Kohler and, uh, we had toured that location and I thought it was kind of sleepy at the time. But we didn't visit that on a weekend, and it's a much different place on the weekend. And we, you know, we got ready. I remember a lot of people pulling on the doors. We get a lot of door pulls when we're starting, like, ready to open, and the signs are there, and I people think imagine. you're open. And everybody that came in and said, if this was the place, you guys picked it. 
this is the place to be. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you know about, about <laughs> franchising and, and putting up stores? And, um, I remember the, the, the first day we always open stores on Wednesdays. So okay. nationwide, we don't, Wednesday is the day. And, uh, I remember opening the doors and, and it's, you're always super nervous cause you just don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And you've got all the staff here and, and, um, you know, you're just waiting for customers and I'm driving around putting, you know, now open little yard signs in and lunch was pretty decent. And, uh, we had it pretty well covered and our one area director is like, uh, I'm going to go home. He's, he's got a local field guy. And, um, I remember he went home early and then dinner came and yeah, it was, it was a full on scramble, um, the entire night. And I remember, um, us doing, I can't remember the, the initial bread. We count business by bread. Okay. So we bake, bake, giant loaves of bread. And if you mm-hmm. go in and get a regular, you know, traditional, what most people order, the most common sandwich is a regular. Well, that's a giant bread cut in half. Okay. I think we did, I think the first day it was like either 575 or 600 giants. So you're talking 1200 sandwiches, a really good opening. Um, the last store in the state here that opened a couple of weeks ago, um, did a, about a 375 bread average. Um, and our busiest day through that five day period, I think we did 708 bread on on the busiest day and it, it set the record for the busiest grand opening, um, in Minnesota, Wisconsin at the time. And, and I mean, we just got our tails kicked. Um, and it's great. It's great. You just, you just don't (laughs) expect it. And I remember living in a hotel for three, three weeks there and it's a small store. So Mm -hmm. it's one of the smallest stores in the state. So you're, you're doing, three to four times the volume of what a busy store in the state is doing on a daily level. And you're trying to put all this product in this store that you have no room for. I remember bringing a trailer an enclosed trailer in just to store dry goods outside. Cause we had no room for it. Oh my goodness! And uh, it's a good problem to have. And, right. and, and you know, we, a lot of times we do uh, fundraisers when we open the, open the stores. Well, this was COVID. So it's, everybody's really concerned about inviting a lot of people into your store sure. and how people perceive that, you know, and you don't really want to make a, a, a negative impact on, on the community. So most of our sales, like we were at 98% paid. So we give a lot of sandwiches away and normally it's like in the form of a free sub card. So we'll go to schools, we'll give out maybe 3000 to 5000 free sub cards mm-hmm. and it's good for 5 days those people come in in order to redeem it they got to give us 3 bucks and we don't take the money we give it back to the school oh, so cool. it's a way to get you to come in and have our sandwich and, and check us out and then on top of it you pay $3 for a really good sandwich and we take that $3 and we donate that back to the school um so so like our first store we had like a 60% paid rate 55, 60%. So that means a little over half of our business was genuine business off the street. Well, you know, Sheboygan was 98% paid. So we didn't, we didn't do a lot of marketing and it was just, you know, I remember going to a quick trip and a lady taps me on the shoulder and says, we've been waiting for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to be a good feeling though. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's a good feeling. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you learn a lot about people when you put them in that in that situation. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's fun. I mean, it's most of our people that we employ want to be busy. They want to do big launches. They, I mean, it's, you know, it's stressful, but it's, it's a challenge. And then when you're done, everybody's high fiving and taking a deep breath and wow, you know, we knocked that out. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, uh, it's definitely the store. Once you get one of those stores, you know, you, you never want to let go of it. And, um, you're, you're, you're blessed to have it because it really changes, 
you know, financially, you know, it really changes things. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, hiring? How do you find those people that, that the want to be busy, the people that are enjoying that hustle and bustle and how do you do it in five communities? <laughs> it's, you know, it, like I told you before, I think the biggest challenge is new stores because mm-hmm. you're starting from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we really try to build from inside with management, you know, and try to give opportunity to people and, you know, kind of, you know, take people that can understand our culture and that get behind it, um, you know, and have the desire to want to do it. Um, food service is a difficult industry to be in. You know, it's kind of a thankless, you know, industry. Sure. Um, people tend to kind of have a downward look at people um, that are in food. And, you know, I challenge a lot of people, you know, to come anytime you want a shadow on the job, you know, and come and, you know, watch my team mm-hmm. knock out, you know, thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar hours and, and, you know, make sandwiches like it's going out of style. I give them tons of credit. Luckily for us, our brand typically ushers in really great customers. We just, we just do. So you don't get a lot of that turnover from people feel like they're, they've been disrespected a lot. Um, but it's really going out there and just interview. I mean, I talk to so many people and we run, you know, lots of ads and trying to find people really boils down to the people that you have recruiting and the people and the conversations you have with people. Because most of the time nowadays, right now, you might have a candidate that comes in. Well, they've got four other job interviews lined up. Mm-hmm. So if you don't strike something with them that they feel like they can get behind, they're just going for whatever place will pay them the most. Sure. And, you know, we, we have margins that we have to work within. So, you know, as much as I'd love to pay everybody tons of money, mm-hmm. just, you know, we're here to keep the doors open. So it's, I think it's culture and it's really caring about people and, and hopefully you're, you know, having leadership people that, you know, embrace that same mentality and finding people that you know are going to represent your brand. And that's the hardest part. You know, I can find people, mm-hmm. but what kind of people are they? Are they going to represent our brand? Are they going to treat our customers the right way? You know, we have pretty high standards. I think our brand has really high standards. I know that we, we embrace those same standards. So we love some of our best people start off as high schoolers and because they're moldable people, they don't have a lot of poor workplace experiences. They don't have a lot of poor habits that they've built working for, you know, non-structured companies. Um, And, you know, and and nothing against them, but I mean, if we're flexible with student athletes, you know, they might, we might see them five hours a week, you know, throughout school. And then summertime they're there for 40 just took a 17 year old kid down to a conference to meet Peter Cancro because he's just a, he's an absolute rock star. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're like, we're not letting you get away. You know, (laughs) he doesn't have any aspirations outside of school and he's outstanding at the job. Sure. Um, so, you know, we're, we're starting him young. Um, but yeah, it's, there's no, I don't know that there's a formula that anybody has that is the magic formula. It's just not getting knocked down and, you know, not Mm -hmm. getting frustrated. I mean, I know that the Beaver Dam store, I hired, two general managers and neither one of them worked out. Mm. Um, one just couldn't get behind our culture and the other one had, had, you know, personal family medical issue that he wasn't able to take the job because of insurance reasons with his current employer. Okay. Um, so that's very frustrating. You waste a lot of time and a lot of money. You think you've got it. You shut the hiring ads off. You get these people onboarded and ready to go. And then you get this either, you know, you know, within the first five days that they're not going to work out or they give you the, 
the bad message that, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this. So you got to stay positive. You, you can't let that stuff, you know, drag you down. And you just, it's like a, a Kirby uh, vacuum cleaner salesman. You just got to keep knocking on doors. You're going to sell <laughs> vacuums, but you might have to knock on a lot more doors than you hope. Sure. Do you ever, do you ever have times where you, you know, you just wish you didn't have to deal with that stuff or you wish, oh, I wish, you know, that person hadn't left or, you know, any of those kind of regrets that you think back on? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, you have stuff where you would played things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Right. Um, so I think that there's some people that have come through our brand that I wish we would have spent more time with or we would have looked at differently. Um, maybe we, we would have accommodated, you know, something more, um, okay. you know, with hopes that it pays a dividend in the end. Um, it's just people's very hard part. You know, it's, it's hard for everybody. And people say, I don't know how you deal with it. I'm like, well, that's, that's just part of our business. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of our business. You just, you know, you just keep on keeping on. And, you know, the, the great thing is, is that you get a core group of people behind you. You know, I've got, I've got managers that I've got a girl managing our Fond du Lac store who's, who started as a 16 year old girl. And, you know, I look back and I'm like, I don't know if this girl's going to be able to do this job. And now here, you know, a lot of breaks were given a lot of, sure. uh, you know, a lot of teaching and a lot of, uh-huh. you know, fatherly type moments. Like I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> um, it, it, but she loves the brand. She loves what okay. she does. And, and you just can't replace that. When mm-hmm. you find that, I just tell my managers, you dig your talons in, you don't let it go. Yeah. And if you've got to walk away and spend 30 seconds in the freezer, taking a deep breath because they frustrate you, it, it will pay itself off, you yeah. know? So that's the biggest thing is trying to teach other people to put up with things that are frustrating because most of these managers put all their heart and soul in coming in and people call off and people, mm-hmm. you know, they, they kind of get used as a doormat sometimes. Yep. And so, you know, you got to find ways to really let them know that, you know, there's more to just making sandwiches every day. You know, we, we, you know, we just went to Chicago to, to, to bring people to see the bigger picture. What is it that our brand is doing? You mm-hmm. know, what, what, what is the bigger picture here? And there's so many stories inside our brand of that, of people that started as crew people who are franchisees, mm-hmm. who are operating partners, who, you know, and that's one thing that our brand does better than I think most is they bring people in and then they, they make them partners, you okay. know, and not only does it seal the deal and keep people working for us, it gives them opportunity you know, and that's our, our desire is to leave a, a legacy and to, to basically hand this off to other people and let them take the reins. And even if we're not, you know, everyday people in the stores um, and maybe just a silent partner, but giving people opportunity because that's what Peter's done. That's what somebody did for Peter. You know, that's what our area directors have done for other franchisees that have worked for them is, or not franchisee, but managers and turn them into franchisees. So it's the culture in our brand that I think once you get people to understand it. And that's the hardest part is taking somebody who just came off the street and is looking for a job. Mm-hmm. And now you're, you're, you're saying, Hey, there's more to this. I, I have a girl right now that I, I told her, I said, this job can change your life. You know, she's somebody that is kind of digging out of, you know, a, a kind of a poor past. And we see that and we see like all the great things. And I said, I don't care about your past. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about your future and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned or I'm not concerned, but I'm, I'm invested in your present. You're everything we're looking for. Let's not worry about the past. This job can change all that. So the culture there is, is if you don't have that, you're just going to 
rotate through people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and you're going to be a, an owner operator that treats people as numbers and not people. Right. I love how all of that, you know, saying you want to show your employees the bigger picture, clearly you understand the bigger picture and what, what you're here for. And then I think back to the beginning of your story and it started with, I have to show this sandwich to my wife and I, <laughs> I just think that's a great story, yeah. you know, and, and now you're changing other people's lives and saying, I'm, I'm investing in you and, and, and you're here for a reason. And I think that that's really special. My role has changed significantly. So it's, it seems weird because I'm not in the stores as much as I was when I first started. And I have people that are doing those things and it's like, what's my role? Well, you know, my role is keeping 80 people plus, you know, employed and, and rolling out benefits and rolling out other things to, to, to constantly work on our compensation for our employees. But another franchisee, I think said it the best. He says, I'm not, I'm, I'm changing my title from franchisee to culture coach. And it's really about like going in and talking with, I'm, I try really hard to know every single employee. And I know that that will get harder as we mm-hmm. get bigger, but I take special interest with like the high school kids. Okay. I come up and I ask them, what subjects do you like? You know, what do you think of the job? What's your favorite sandwich? And people are like, Oh, here comes Kyle with all his questions, <laughs> you know, and, oh, be prepared. If Kyle comes in, you're going to get a bunch of questions. So I want to know, you know, and it builds a little bit of rapport that, you know, even though I'm not in the stores, you know, they feel good that their voice matters. And, you know, and that's something that Peter Cancro has always said, you know, at 14, my voice mattered. You know, mm-hmm. if I spoke up, somebody would listen or somebody would pay attention to me. And those are things that I think has made our brand super successful because the look of, of how we look at things is a lot different. You know, and every, every brand says, well, we have culture and we have right. this and, and most certainly it's out there. We're not the only company. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's what's made Jersey Mike's just explode is because they've collected a large group of franchisees that I would say 90% of them probably feel the same way. And and that's how they go about doing business. And it's just part of that Testament is, is, is the competition between franchisees to give away money. And, and what I mean by that is we, we have a month of giving where we, we, we do a big charity deal during, during March. And then we ultimately have a day of giving and the day of giving is 100% of sales. So, so wow. not, not like profit or after we mm-hmm. pay everybody, it's sales. You buy a 75-cent cookie, we're donating 75 cents. You buy a $1,000 catering order, we're donating 1000 And this year, we, we donated $20 million to Special Olympics. Um, wow. And it, it's funny because everybody's competing to see who can donate more money. And in the world of business, to, to have a bunch of people competing to see how much you can give away mm-hmm. is something pretty spectacular. Right. Very unusual. Very unusual. <laughs> Very unusual. And that's that's across. I mean, it, it all is stores. part of a yeah. I mean, it is part of a, a, a part of your franchise agreement. Okay. But I don't even look at it that way because the brand does such a good job of pulling people in that believe in that that mm-hmm. want to make a impact on the community. Most of our month of giving stuff prior to the Special Olympics was individually by market. So, you know, the first year we were there, we did the St. Vincent um, Children's Hospital out of out of Green Bay. Um, and then we jumped on with everybody else and did LLS, so Lymphoma Leukemia Society, yep. um, which has been a longtime partner of Wisconsin and Minnesota. Um, I know that we're going to branch out and kind of try to spread the wealth a little bit to some other groups. I think we're going to do Make-A-Wish this year. Okay. Um, but the the Special Olympics was a, a you know, and a little bit about that just kind of solidifies our brand. When Special Olympics came in, 
and kind of pitch themselves. And Peter hates pitches. He, he just <laughs> come and sit down and talk to me. Don't, don't give me yeah, a pitch. Yeah. Um, when they were talking about what they wanted and, and they were looking at what we had done for that, that month of giving prior, uh, I think in 2018, I think the brand raised like $7 million total. Okay. Um, and then in 2019, I think we did like 12 million. And so Peter's like, well, we'll do, you know, they wanted like 2 million. They were hoping for $2 million okay. because the special Olympics, the, the actual Olympics was coming up in 2022. Oh, sure. And Peter said, we'll commit to 10 million. And that, they were blown away and we'll give you the 10 million up front. Oh, wow. So that they could get things, you know, so they could yep. raise the capital to, to make stuff happen and, and to get mm-hmm. this set up. And so um, they were thinking, oh, okay, well, they did $12 million this this last time. We'll get another $2 million. And then we did $20 million. And so they doubled up, you know, and, and they were able to hire more coaches and, and bring more people to the games. And just, uh, you know, we were the, co- or the, the headline sponsor of it. And, you know, stuff like that, when you see what the kind of impact that, that your brand, you know, making sandwiches makes, I mean, it just makes waking up and doing it and, and dealing with the frustrating parts so worth it. Mm-hmm. And I got to think as, you know, you've mentioned high schoolers, to be a high schooler and to know that the business you're working for is doing that kind of work, like that would have been so meaningful to me yep. as a high schooler to think like, I'm not just making sandwiches, but I'm making a difference. I talk about that as in, in interviews because I want to see people's reaction when we talk about it. Is it something that nobody cares about, you know, especially for leadership stuff or sure. do people be like, oh, wow, that is so awesome. You know, I can totally get behind that mm-hmm. um, because we know that at that point, that's somebody we want to be, you know, associated with. If it's if it's like, well, who cares? Then you're probably not, you know, you're not right. for us, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we're, you know, we're now getting back to a point where we can be really picky and that's a great spot to be where our stores are mainly staffed and now we're, we're making upgrades or we're, we're really only bringing people on that really align with what we want, mm-hmm. you know, so it's a great spot to be. Yeah. Not a lot of businesses can be in that spot. So that's, you know, and then we're not perfect, but there's, you know, we've got one store. I'm like, don't hire anybody unless they're absolutely blow you away. Sure. And that's, you know, we, we turned all the hiring off for that store because we just, it's fully staffed, you know, and people are asking for hours. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's gotta be an awesome spot to be. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> So, all right, Kyle, here's where we're going to get a little inspirational for listeners. As you may know, Horcom Bank is the natural choice for banking. And that's not just a tagline. We also commit to being environmentally friendly and supporting environmental causes. So in that spirit, I'm going to give you an interesting animal fact, and I'd like you to turn it into a piece of inspirational advice for listeners. Okay. Okay. So here's your fact. A grizzly bear's bite is so strong that it can crush a bowling ball. Which I did not know, by the way. <laughs> so you want me to turn that into an inspiration? Yeah, let's inspire. <laughs> well, I mean, I think most people would think that a bowling ball is pretty much not overcome by anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty strong piece. So to know that there's strength out there in a in a grizzly bear's bite that can overcome that, I think that that's you know, I mean, might be drawn for straws here, but. Um, <laughs> You know, that's pretty amazing. I yeah. mean, it, it, bowling ball, I mean, pick one up, drop it on the ground. And it's, it's literally something that gets thrown down a wood alley and mm-hmm. smashed into things. And, you know, this animal can can crush it with its jaws. Right. Um, you know, so it just kind of goes to show you that nothing's invincible, um, you know, and there's some there's always a higher power above yeah. everything else. So I don't know if that's inspiring. I feel like it's inspiring. <laughs> yeah. 
it's sort of that like anything's possible. Yeah. You know? Yep. Cool. Well done, by the way. I know that makes people a little nervous, but you did a great (laughs) job. (laughs) Before we end the show, Kyle, I want to wrap up with actionable advice. So what is something that you would tell an entrepreneur, small business owner, based on your experience, what's, what's something you would tell them, advice you would give them that they can put into action right away? I think just keeping an open mind and in, in never really having a closed mind about something or having your mind made up. I mean, there's, there's so many things that I've learned. You know, I think one of the biggest things is, you know, failure and success are the best friends. You know, they really are because you, you don't know one without the other. Mm-hmm. Nobody wins afraid of losing. That's a Chris Stapleton quote, by the way. That's not me. <laughs> um, but I, every time I hear that song, I'm like, that's it's 100% because I think entrepreneurs and people that step out there, you know, already kind of know that there's that risk involved. But, mm-hmm. you know, being accepting of failure, I think, is something that people have a hard time with. And I think if you're not willing to to, to accept that and, and to just go into it being like, okay, well, I'm not making stupid decisions just because I don't care if I fail. I mean, people definitely care whether mm-hmm. they fail or not, but you know, those things, you know, you don't learn anything without failure, you know, and, and you don't know what success is without failure. So I, I just lived on both sides of those things. You know, first, first of all, you know, when, when we first got started, I mean, that just felt like a hundred percent failure. Sure. And then it was either sink or swim. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we jumped on it and my wife would, you know, definitely back that up. And there was a lot of, you know, tearful moments, you know, and what did we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what did we do with ourselves? What did we do to our life? Um, you know, so that's probably one thing that I just, I always tell my people, you know, and I just like, hey, if we fail, what do we learn and how yeah. do we come back better? Yeah. You know, if this doesn't work out, you know, every time you open a store, that's kind of how it is. Sure. And that's, that's gotta be an attitude that you and your managers have to have is, is that, you know, failure doesn't stop here. That's not the end point. Now you have a chance to learn. Now you have a chance to be better and remember that in the future. Yep. Yeah. It's a tough pill to swallow at first, but you know, when you get kind of comfortable with failing, (laughs) you can get comfortable with success, I guess. I mean, those two, I always tell people they're they're best friends, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they sleep in the same room. Well, that is awesome advice. Kyle, I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you sharing your story. And I just wish you the best of luck in Beaver Dam and yep. all the other stores that you're looking at. Awesome. Well, I appreciate uh, the, the chance to come and talk. It was a humbling experience and glad you guys thought of me. And uh, I'm glad to share my story. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in the loop on all things banking on business related, visit horaconbank.com slash banking on business and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.